earn more, spend less, invest the difference and enjoy mm. the journey. So you okay. can't just sacrifice today in the hope of something better tomorrow. You have to have that balance of, you know, we got to live today, mm. prioritize the things that make us happy, fill us with joy, cut the yeah. stuff out that doesn't. And that's the part that we can then invest and grow to let us have this abundant lifestyle later on. I'm trying to give me a bag. 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 What's up? What's up? You are now listening to FY Fly the podcast. And I'm your host, Hassan Thomas, along with Remy. And we are here to share tools on how millennials can budget, save, invest, and understand student debt and credit to achieve financial freedom. If you're a high school student, college student, or someone who's interested in gaining more financial insight, this podcast is for you. I'm trying to give me a bag. I'm trying to give me a bag. I'm trying to give me a bag. Yeah. I'm trying to Welcome to the FY Fly Podcast. My name is Hassan Thomas, aka the kid that did and the man that can, baby. And today, we're going to be chopping up with the guy I've heard so much about and actually got the pleasure of meeting at FinCon, financial educator, entrepreneur, and author, Mr. Rob Feeling. How are you? How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for having me, man. It was great meeting you in person, and I'm really excited to chat with you on your podcast. Man, it was great meeting you as well. So many people were telling me, hey, you got to meet this guy, Rob, Rob Feeling. You got to meet this guy, man. So super happy we got connected. And as soon as we did, man, I think we talked for like, what, 30 minutes? <laughs> At least, yeah. You know, lots of cool stuff going on, talking about kids and money, how we can shape financial education. So yeah, I'm, I'm digging this conversation. I really want to get into it. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent because, you know, we were at FinCon, but now we're at FY, we're on FY Fly, man. So we really like to skip the fluff and get right into the good stuff. So, you know, you spoke about kids and money and I know you have your own book teaching kids about money called M is for Money. <laughs> so give us maybe not the biggest lesson, but give us one of the most impactful lessons that you've taught in your book. So for context, this is a children's book. It's for three to eight year olds. It's called Emma's for Money and it introduces three to eight year olds to age appropriate money vocabulary okay. and then helps normalize conversations about money between family and friends. The more we talk about this stuff, the easier it is to have conversations. Yeah, it gets comfortable. And like, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I feel okay asking a question about this. And how many of us would make better decisions if we just asked some more questions before we did it? For sure, for sure. So do you think that was the biggest lesson that you've put into the book is kind of being comfortable with money and not viewing it as, you know, evil or something negative, but viewing it more as, you know, kind of like a tool? Or what do you think the, the most impactful lesson that you put in that book? I think it's that money is normal. Wanting to do well with money is normal. Handling it's normal. Having questions about it is totally okay. Mm -hmm. And when I made the book, I wanted as many different characters as possible. There's actually over 60 different characters in this book. Oh, My wow. poor illustrator had no idea what he was signing up for. But the purpose of that was that there's no one central character. There mm -hmm. are 60 different characters and a child should have every chance of finding a character who looks, acts, feels like them. And mm -hmm. they can identify with that character and see, oh, they're using money in a positive way. Yeah. I should start building that positive mindset and relationship with money too. Mm -hmm. And why, and I'm glad you, you pointed out that you made your characters relatable to many different children. So why do you think exposure to money, you know, money conversations and, you know, why do you think that is so important? for people who haven't really been exposed to 
you know, this type of money education? Because it's, it's not in schools just yet. No, a couple of reasons. A, I think there's a huge amount of underrepresentation of minority groups in children's books. The statistics, like the, as you would imagine, the majority of children's books in America are white central characters. Um, the second most popular is animal characters, and then you go into the minority groups. And gotcha. just, it's not okay because what we're noticing is that children absorb the messages that come from books if they relate to the characters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm looking at a children's book as a child and I don't, I don't see myself in these characters, the message that's in the book doesn't quite sink in as well as it does if yeah. I see a character and I see myself in them. So that was... That was my big thing here. I wanted a book about money, but it's not just another book for white kids to help, you know, white kids learn about money. It's about all kids and as many kids as for possible. Sure. And there's no reason why not. Money is something that affects all of us in many different ways. So we should all be able to access it in the same way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I'm so glad that you took it there because from the research that I've been doing, you know, the, it was actually taken out of school. I think it was like in the 1920s. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that they took it out of school to make employees, not entrepreneurs. I, I did the same thing. I dove into like, why is this not taught in schools? And it was. Home yeah. economics was a big part of the school system back mm -hmm. in the early 90s. And it, for me, it was like the, the world wars had a big impact on it. And in particular, the Cold War, yeah. where it became a race to have the most educated population. So we put a huge emphasis on mathematics, science, languages, things that would increase the earning potential of the employees and also the collective brain power of an entire nation. So we wanted yeah. to produce more, we wanted to invent more and math, science, those are the ones that were going to do that. Mm, Home economics them. kind of <laughs> fell away. And yeah, I guess there's no, as far as the government's concerned, maybe there's no benefit to having a financially literate population. So why bother with it? Maybe that's what it is. And from your experiences, what do you believe the biggest downfall of a young person not graduating financially literate? Oh, I mean, you ask most 30, 40, 50 year olds, like where were your money mistakes made? Yeah. It was in that 10 year period right after high school. We signed up for student loans that we didn't quite understand. So we maybe we took on too much debt or we didn't consider the return on investment for what we were getting for it. So what mm -hmm. degree were you getting? How much did you pay for it? What kind of loan did you take for it? Did yeah. you go for scholarships or grants or take the free money that was available that maybe you did or didn't know was there? After we graduate, did we inflate our lives as soon as we got that first big kid job and that first paycheck? So we just basically let our lifestyle eat up our entire paycheck. So there was nothing left mm -hmm. to save or invest. The lifestyle creep. All? Oh, the lifestyle creep's huge. Like how many yeah. of us, you know, finished high school or college or whatever it was. And we're like, well, I just came from this family, like my own personal family, where I had all this stuff. Like we had the nice things, we had the subscriptions, we went on the trips mm -hmm. and well, I, w I want that too. Like that's the life I want to have for myself. So I immediately yeah. try and copy that forgetting of course that, you know, the adults, our parents or grandparents, whoever it was, they took decades to get to that point. Mm -hmm. like, you can't just jump straight into like the comfort level that you had beforehand. You got to earn your way. For back. sure. For sure. And that's really what your twenties and, you know, early thirties, you know, are about really locking in and grinding and setting yourself up for that future success, future financial success. So talk to us about like the balance, because 
We don't want to go with a Dave Ramsey method of the only time you should see a restaurant is if you're working there. You know what I mean? We don't want to go that extreme, but we definitely do want to make sure that we're saving for our future and investing for our future, making our money work for us. So can you talk to a little bit about that balance? Yeah, it's, I definitely don't agree with Dave on that. Like you are <laughs> in a mountain of debt and you know, you've got $30,000 of credit card debt at a 20% interest rate then maybe Dave is the right person for you. Mm. Like, I'm not totally anti Dave Ramsey. I think that he has a very specific audience that he is great for. Yeah. Uh, so if you've been irresponsible with money, you don't know what you're doing and you just need somebody to spell it out for you and give you a pathway to getting out of debt. I think Dave's your guy, mm -hmm. uh, but I think most of us will graduate from Dave's philosophy eventually when we start talking about financial independence, instead of just like putting fires out. Yeah. Uh, so like building the fire instead of putting a fire out kind of thing. <laughs> and I think part of that is that, that equation for financial independence, earn more, spend less, invest the difference and enjoy mm -hmm. the journey. So you okay. can't just sacrifice today in the hope of something better tomorrow. You have to have that balance of, you know, we got to live today, mm -hmm. prioritize the things that make us happy, fill us with joy, cut yeah. the stuff out that doesn't. And that's the part that we can then invest and grow to let us have this abundant lifestyle later on. And I, and I, appreciate you for framing it that way because i believe you know how you said earn more spend less invest a difference and enjoy the journey that's the key that i want people to understand because especially with a lot of young folks they're hearing this you know financial i don't want to say advice but they're hearing this kind of like this financial jargon and things of that nature and they're getting turned off because they're hearing in 30 years and 40 years and this and that, this and that. So especially being a young person, you know, we're, we're really here and now, here and now. But if, if we can start to really change the mindset of having a bit of a balance and, like you said, preparing yourself for the future, but also living for the day and enjoying the journey, I think that's where that mindset shift can really change. Speaking of you personally... What kind of budgeting method or, you know, way that you, you know, plan to spend and save your money? Can you give us some type of advice, not even advice, but more of what you do personally to track and, 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 and really keep a hold of the money that you're going to spend, you know, with that budget? Because a budget to me is simply just a spending plan. Yeah. I love the word spending plan. It's what's my money going to do versus what can't it do? Yeah. For my wife and I, tracking our spending is important because we don't have an abundance of money. There isn't mm -hmm. a ton there. What we have, we have to make sure we're keeping track of. There's no kind of just like spending what we want and there's money left at the end of the month. If we did that, there would be nothing left. Yeah. So we're very intentional with how we do it. We use YNAB, so you need a budget. And the reason we okay. do that is that there's two of us spending out of the same checking account. So my wife and I both have access to the checking account. We both have credit cards that are linked mm -hmm. to it. And if we don't have this sort of communication tool, we don't know how much is left in our categories for spending. Gotcha. So within YNAB, you've got you know, all of our needs, our wants, our savings goals, our investing mm -hmm. goals, like everything is in there. Every dollar has a job. So even if you're saving money, that still is a deduction on your checking accounts. Yeah. So we, we zero out at the end. So we do a $0 budgeting and uh, okay. we do it down to a pretty, a pretty detailed level. And that lets us hit all of our goals, make sure all our bills are covered and leave mm -hmm. space for things like going out to eat, a vacation fund, doing fun stuff. Like there's the fun is built in there too, and it's planned for. So can you tap in on that zero based budgeting for us and kind of give us like a example of how that works? 
Absolutely. So this is a Dave Ramsey idea that I did hold on to. And I was like, yes. Yeah. So, like, so zero-based budgeting is every dollar has a job. So money comes in and you give every single dollar that comes in a job to do. So mm -hmm. some money goes to paying a bill, some money goes to your savings account to build up your emergency fund or plan for a future expense. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got 10 different savings accounts with emergency funds, long-term saving goals, short-term saving goals, and sinking funds for different expenses that are coming up. So Okay, so you're a believer out. in multiple accounts separating mm -hmm. your money like that? Yes, okay. I love the pots. I love knowing like that money is allocated to different things. And then you know, money goes out into our wants. So we know we want to go eat out two or three times a month. So we know roughly what that's going to cost. We budget for it. Okay, um, that's key. Yeah. That's key. It, it means that you get to do all the things you want to do and you consciously say, well, I'm not going to do this other stuff because there's no money left to do it. And it's mm -hmm. not that important to me. And yeah. if it is, I have then to it would have been in the budget. <laughs> yeah. Or, or we have the flexibility to move around. So it's like, oh, gotcha. we really want to go. We went to see DC or not DC United, the women's team in DC play recently. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well, we really want to do that. Let's take that money from the restaurant budget. That'll buy the tickets, the parking, that sort of thing. So we just transfer the money from one category to another. Uh -huh. I'm still zero out at the end. Every dollar has done its job and there's no deficit. There's no going into debt. The credit yeah. card is always paid off every single month in full. So mm -hmm. we don't carry any consumer debt like that. I love it. I love it. And I, I'm so glad we were able to go into that zero based budgeting. That is a great budget for everybody listening. So there's that zero based budget. And then there's also another budget, a 50, 30, 20 budget where you're breaking down the money, the income that you receive into 50% for your needs. Then you're breaking down and this can be interchangeable. And that's why they really say, you know, personal finance is personal, but you can also do 30% for your saving and investing and then 20% for your fun, you know, anything you're like disposable income or anything that you want to spend on. So that's a pretty good budgeting system as well. And that actually sparked a question in my head. You know, whenever you were coming up, were you always, you know, financially literate? Were you always, you know, money oriented or was there some type of event in your life? Like, okay, it, it's time for me to get right. I think most of us, yeah, unless you've had that upbringing, there is that oh crap moment or that transitional moment where we sort of spark ourselves into life and humans yeah. love transitional moments. We love new years because it's a transition from one year to another. And that's a great time to make a change. We love birthdays. We love mm -hmm. anniversaries. Transition moments are great. And sometimes they're life events and sometimes they're just annual events that pop up. Yeah. For me, it was, I met my future wife. So we started dating and when we moved in together, we started, you know, being more than just, you know, long distance dating. Now we were roommates sort of thing. And we were starting to combine some For finances. Sure. And I realized that she knew so much more about money than I did. Her dad had given her a pretty decent upbringing in money. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing the basic equation of money in has to be more than money out. Some of your paycheck should be going to retirement, things like that, that I just didn't know these things. Yeah. I've been a poor college student. I was a grad assistant. So I was making like $10,000 a year for two years and living off of that. So I was used to being frugal and cheap and all that stuff, but mm -hmm. not great with money, I would say. And my wife wasn't not that she wasn't cool with it. She didn't feel comfortable with that. She didn't want to be the only person in our relationship that knew anything about money and was making the decisions about money. Yeah. It can, it can feel like a lot of pressure. And if you're in a relationship where you, you know, this feeling like the other person has no clue what's going on financially mm -hmm. and you're just sort of like left with it. Like you make, you make us be okay. It's a lot of pressure. And yeah, for she sure. said to me, like, I'm, I don't like this pressure. Like I can do it, but I would love for you to be an equal partner in this. 
And that was enough for me to say like, okay, I'm going to go start learning about this. And I realized, you know, books, podcasts, talking to people who are in the financial community, those are great ways to learn. Mm -hmm. And so it's only been about a five-year journey for me so far in terms of going from not knowing really anything about money to being able to teach about it, talk about it, be on yeah. a podcast like this and share our experiences. Yeah, it's been a, a cool journey and something that doesn't take a long time to learn about. Definitely. And, it, and, and the information is not difficult. You know, it, it, it's not difficult. And I think whenever we speak to these children, whenever we're speaking to people, just by making it real life relatable, you know what I mean? Using real life examples and how this information can really apply to our lives. I think that's what really makes it, you know, come across. Cause I was, when I was giving, I spoke at Elizabeth city state university this year. And when I saw the light switch switch for, you know, the, the students that I was speaking to is when I started talking about spring break. So, you know, everybody wants to travel. And I was asking them, you know, how many of y'all went on spring break last year? And a lot of them said they couldn't because they didn't have enough money saved up. So I was like, have y'all heard of something called a sinking fund? So basically what a sinking fund is for everybody listening, it's whenever you have a pile of money that you're starting to save for some future goal. So for example, I was telling them, hey, let's this year, let's start saving for spring break, which is in March. Let's start saving in November or let's start saving in October. So now we have enough money saved up instead of when March or February comes around, we're not pulling from that check money that we need to pay our rent, to pay our bills, to just go travel. Now we have a pile of money saved up all the way from October that we can now, that was specified for that trip. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think making things real live relatable is huge, huge for, you know, whenever we're speaking to young folks, because I, I, I saw that you and you've mentioned it, that you teach high schoolers entrepreneurship and personal finance. So what have you seen that has gotten them like most excited about entrepreneurship? We actually just started our entrepreneurship projects right now. So we're going to do a five week project where they're going to start mm -hmm. a business. They're going to try and be profitable within five weeks. So they're actually going to do it. Like I'm not into this, like, oh, let's just come up with a hypothetical, like pie in the sky idea. Like we're going to actually start something. Yeah. And see what it turns into. And, you know, some kids are like, oh, I don't really want to do that. And that's fine. But unless you've ever been exposed to actually trying to start your own business, how can you ever know if this is something that you're capable of or not? Facts. And my goal is not to like start the next, you know, multi-million dollar company in here. It's just to teach them the basics of solving a problem for people, mm -hmm. doing so in a way that is actually what the customer wants, and then being able to do it in a way that is profitable, that you can charge for it provide a service or a product that solves a problem and yeah. helps make you know people's lives easier, better, whatever it is. And if they can do that and they can learn those principles then they can take that into their own businesses in the future, they can bring Thanks. it into their place of employment and be an entrepreneur within a company. But I'm just seeing them sort, sort of start realizing like, oh, I don't need a boss for this. I don't need someone to tell me what to do. I don't need someone to tell me what to work on. I can choose. Mm -hmm. And we don't give kids a lot of choice, really. Like I, I present them with this and they're kind of like, so what do I do? And I'm like, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. what, are you, what are you interested in? What are you excited about? What brings you joy and passion? Yeah. And then also what's easy to start and what fits into your desired lifestyle? Like we're not gonna sign ourselves up for something that we don't have time to do. We're gonna sign ourselves up for something that fits with the life that we want to leave. Mm -hmm. So that's that lifestyle business idea. And for those of you who are thinking about starting a side hustle, just be cautious about that. What are you starting? 
And is it something that you're going to be able to sustain for a long time? And it's going to fit the life that you actually want to have versus this sort of hustle culture that we feel like we're kind of pushed mm -hmm. into where you got to hustle 80 hours a week. And then at some point in the future, you can turn it off and go back to living again. And man, I'm, I, I got to touch on that hustle culture because I'm a big Gary V guy. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Gary V guy. And as you know, if you've listened to Gary V's, he's one of the GOAT entrepreneurs. And his story is he was working on his father's, on his parents' wine company from about 20 to 30, just locked in and was, you know, raised it to like a, from like a, what was it, like a $2 million company to like 50 million or, or something of that nature, you know, in that, in that time of 10 years. And then he went out on his own and started becoming, you know, Gary V that we, that we know now. So like, you're more on the, on the side of let's find something where you're not, you know, living that Gary V life locked in for your, cause those are important times that, that, mm. that, that 20 to 30 is very, very important. And we do have a lot of 20 to 30 year olds on our channel. So where do you think that specific balance is of, you know, grinding your tail off from 20 to 30, but also, you know, still kind of, you know, enjoying the journey, like you were saying. So where's that balance for you? Oof. Do you know Grant Sabatier? Are you familiar with that name? No, I don't. So Grant Sabatier, if you Google his name, he's an author, he's in the personal finance community. And two, three years ago, he was doing a book tour around the US. So he, his story was he went from like a couple of dollars in his bank account to over a million in five years wow. and did, the, did this like at age like 22, so like 22 to 27, he did this. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was right. He wrote a book about it, was touring around and he stopped at my school. Cause I'd reached out to him. I was like, Hey, you're coming through my area. We stopped at my school and talked to the kids. Yeah. And he was like, you know, I worked my ass off for five years. Like I did nothing but work. I thought about nothing but work. I started my own companies. I grew them. I flipped them, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, I made my million. And once I got there, I was financially independent. And he's like, in hindsight, looking back, I burned the candle so hard that my body suffered, my mental health suffered, my relationship suffered. Like he's like, I had no friends left at the end of it really of any substance. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I gained a ton of weight and just felt so mentally burnt out. And he's like, yeah. was that worth it? Could I have done it slower and been happier and still reach the same goal? Maybe a little bit slower, but still kind of got there. Gotcha. And that, that really meant something to me. Cause it was like, I was at that point where I was doing my full-time job and I was adding in this almost second job side hustle. Yeah. And it was eating up so much time. And then, you know, my wife and I were talking about having a child, you know, and you know, starting a family and realizing that I couldn't sustain what I was doing if I wanted to be a present parent and partner. For sure. So I had to reimagine what does my side hustle, what does my business look like in the life that I want to have? And that was, you know, being present, being around as much as I could. So I started reimagining things in terms of well, what's passive income look like? What can I do that requires mm. the least amount of my time? So I, I stopped doing things like trading my time one for one. Like I stopped tutoring because that's a one-to-one -one thing. You can't scale it. Fact. I started doing online courses. I started producing books, talking publicly, things that I could either make a high amount of money for an hour of my time or mm -hmm. front load a bit of effort. And then it will just make money from then on with minimal effort afterwards. And that's what I'm looking for now. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I don't even know where I <laughs> want to go, go with that. that. <laughs> man, man. Okay. Cause I want to, I want to touch on the digital products that you've said you got into and, and how that's kind of shaped where you're going. Cause that's, that's really where a lot of people want to get into that digital product and front load the work so you can eat off one thing 
for many times. But I want to I want to just tell you what what how I'm planning to, you know, sustain my my business, and then let's get into that digital products. So right now, you know, at, at 24, I just graduated two years ago during 2020, and. I know that I've already, I've lived, I've had the parties, I've had fun, you know, I've turned up. So right now I'm in a, I'm in a locked in stage where I can see myself really locking in, you know, not having children to at least about 28, 29. And then by then I feel if I go hard enough now until then, I'll have things automated. I'll have things delegated and real income will be coming in where I can speak you know, like you said, doing those high ticket or high revenue generating activities that doesn't take a lot of time. I believe by then I'll be at that time. So I then can be more present into my future kids' lives, my future wife's life and things of that nature. So that's where I'm at right now. Wanted to get your quick opinion on that. And then I want to definitely dive into those digital products. I think if you're making the conscious decision to do that and you're cool with it, then that's great. If I could do my early 20s again, I think there mm -hmm. will be a lot more of that, particularly like getting into real estate investing from a very young age, mm -hmm. like talking about house hacks and stuff like that, you know, before yeah. you have the responsibility of a partner and a child where you're like, yeah, I don't mind like buying a house and sharing it with five other dudes, like no problem. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, buying duplex or triplex, like that sort of stuff. Right. Like, yeah, I would totally be into that if I was 18, 19 year old again. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, you, you, you're talking about you're like, you're front loading your side hustle. So you're not signing yourself up for something where this is it. Like you're going to have to do this, you know, nine to nine lifestyle for the rest of your life to kind of keep the money coming in. You're you have an exit strategy mm -hmm. or you have a wind down strategy, which I love reading Tim Ferriss's book, the four hour work week was what really turned me onto that. Like, how do I work week? Okay. adapt what I'm doing to have the minimum, the smallest amount of effort and time on my part going in for the largest amount of reward. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're talking about like planning for those systems already. So with, from what talking to you, I'm like, yeah, you got the right idea here. Got you. Got you. Okay. Okay. So everybody listening, you know, make sure that, so Rob does agree that we should be grinding it and definitely getting it in right now, you know, as young folks, but definitely, like he said, have that wind down strategy, have that exit strategy. So when we are you know, 30 and 40, we are able to spend the, that time because that's the most valuable asset. We're able to spend that time with the people that we love the most because that's what's really going to make us happy. You know, we could have all the money like we could have, you know, 350,000, you know, grinded over this year and now we feel comfortable. But and then also on, on the other hand, we could have 650,000 and not be with our families and not have any time with our families, I almost guarantee you a lot of more people would be happy with 350,000 and their family, friends, you know, a great social life than being at 650,000 with your business. And, you know, like the guy you mentioned, you know, not have any friends that are worth substance, you know, not being able to take care of our bodies physically and mentally. So definitely, definitely be aware of that. Cause I mean, it comes down to what makes someone happy. Mm -hmm. Like, what would you say to that? Like, what, what's the key to happiness? For me personally, what makes me happy is making impact, making income and having fun. So for, for me, like I said, it's, it's, it's my faith, it's my family 
And it's FYI fly. I love, I really, really, really love what I'm doing. So it doesn't feel like work. And that's why I was saying, you know, when I get older, I'm going to have the systems automated and things, you know, delegated to do the things that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for everything else, the speaking, the podcasting, connecting, networking, going to events, those things don't feel like work to me. That, that's that's fun. Like, like, I love doing that. So that that's what I look forward to doing, being with family, making impact, income and having fun. That's where I see my life going. I don't know who said it to me. It was it was some podcast, probably not even a direct conversation, but it was like most people, when you think about happiness, they want purpose in their lives. They want autonomy over their time. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to master different skills and be like a master of whatever their craft is or their trade or their body of knowledge. Yeah. And then also the the quality and depth of their connections and there doesn't really need to be that many you only need a handful of deep connections to really feel truly happy Mm -hmm. um, at least on that side of things so it's like money is a key or a tool to achieving a lot of those things yeah and like you said like your your source of income brings you a lot of happiness purpose joy but at the same time yeah we don't want to sacrifice the other parts that are going to make us happy for sure a hundred percent a hundred percent so this is, you know, this, this is FYI Fly, man. A show about financial literacy, which is not only understanding how to budget your money, but being able to save and grow your money effectively and efficiently. So our audience wants you to give us a good money habit and then also give us a bad money habit that you have that we could cut off, man. <laughs> Talk to us. All right, we'll start with the good because I can think of one straight away. Okay. Um, my wife and I have done a really great job with paying yourself tomorrow. So that is anytime mm. we make more money so say as a teacher every year my salary goes up a little bit it's not a ton but it's an it's a little bit it's enough to be noticeable we didn't have a high savings rate when we started but what we said was any raise i get 50 percent goes into investing and the other 50 percent comes into our budget so you still Mm -hmm. get a small raise but your savings rate has just increased now it hasn't increased by a huge amount but you've taken whatever you have increased by and 50 percent of that is now going into investing your savings rate will creep up over time just by taking part of what you're making extra and putting that into investing. So if you can't mm-hmm. create the space for it right now, you've inflated your lifestyle in such a way that like, you, know, you can't ditch your mortgage right now because interest rates are so high and your house would be underwater if you tried to sell it. Yeah, like That's a hard one to get rid of. But if you can wait for that next pay raise to come, you say, okay, 50% of that goes into investing, you can start building that savings rate. So that was, that was a great habit that we brought mm-hmm. in and we still do today. Oh, like uh, the bad habit, we have a we have a Starbucks habit. But, so it's so close like, to the like, close to the house. It's close to the house. We like expensive bad coffee, but it's <laughs> it's something that when my wife and I would list out like our things that bring us happiness, going to Starbucks together on a date was something that brought us happiness. So we were like, mm-hmm. you know what, we're gonna we're gonna create that space. So we have a, a line item for Starbucks in our budget, and <sighs> that's we, major. We, we budget for it. It's not great, but it's there. Hey, it's your money and it makes you happy and it's accounted for. That's that's all you could ever ask for. That's all you could ever ask for right there. And then we figured out the Starbucks credit card hack, which was awesome. Ooh, would you get cash back rewards, free, free, free muffin? What'd you get? So the Starbucks credit card, it you know, if you look at most credit card sites, they're not gonna be bothered with it because it's not it doesn't have cash back, it just has Starbucks yeah. points. But if you're like, I insist on having a Starbucks habit, it can be a good one for you. The minimum spend on it's pretty low. I think it's like $500 to get the reward and the reward mm-hmm. is like 5,000 stars and each drip coffee. So like a black coffee is 50 stars. 
Yeah. So when you take the number of coffees you can get times the price of that coffee, it's actually like a $500 cashback reward. It's a pretty good cashback reward. Mm. And you know, we found that like, if you do like a drip coffee and you add a little bit of like steamed milk to it, it basically kind of turns into a latte sort of thing, but it still stays at 50 stars Yeah. and the size doesn't matter. So you can get a, a tall venti or large or tall venti or grande for the same price mm -hmm. stars wise. So we, we actually rarely pay for coffee. Like we, we've been able to balance that bonus and take a year each on that. We take turns getting the credit card and getting the reward. Okay. So it's yeah. Find, find the things that you still want to keep in your budget that maybe are a bad habit, but for sure. fi find a way to hack that a little bit. Like how can you keep that in there, but keep the cost low? You gotta, gotta get a little creative out here now. You yeah. gotta, gotta get a little creative. There's, there's always a way to do it creatively. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. I think, but really honestly, man, that's huge. And I'm so glad that we went down that path because that's what people need to hear whenever, whenever we hear budgeting, you know, it's kind of like the B word, you know, you get, you get, it feels restrictive. And I feel like a budget is more of a life enabler than a life restrictor. You know what I mean? So being able to put the things that you really care for that are, you know, mandatory, the things like that Starbucks date for you and your wife, that's mandatory for y'all relationship. Y'all both love doing that. And the fact that y'all account for that, Instead of, you know, on the other hand, y'all could just be going willy nilly and not even know, you know, how many times y'all probably go or just, you know, going, you know, spending and spending and spending, but y'all account for that. And that is what really is key for the people that are listening. The things that you love to do, put them into your budget. Yeah. Just make space for it. Like you're allowed to spend on stuff that you like that other people will look at like that's dumb. It's you want to cut out the stuff that you don't like that's also dumb because it doesn't bring any joy or happiness. And if yeah. you can just cut that out and invest that money, you'll be doing great. Like I don't buy into this, like, oh, you know, don't spend money on a coffee every single day and you'll invest it and you'll have an extra thousand dollars a year. Like, sure. Like the math might work out that way, but if you deprive yourself mm -hmm. of every single thing that brings you joy and happiness in the name of saving money, you're going to be miserable and there's no way you're going to stick to it. And or you're, you're not enjoying the journey. Like <laughs> yeah. we talked about you, you would not be enjoying the journey. If you, if you cut out all of the things that you really loved and liked so a hundred percent man big facts man big facts man so thank you so much for joining the fy fly podcast please let the audience know where to reach you and if you got any final words go ahead boss thanks so much for everyone for being here for listening to us ramble on for an hour <laughs> once again my name is rob phelan i'm the author of ms for money so that's the children's book about money you can find that at msformoneybook.com if you have a 10 to 18 year old who's interested in starting their own business, come check out The Simple Startup where I help guide young entrepreneurs through that process of starting their first business. That's thesimplestartup.com. And if you're on Instagram, check out at Book or on Twitter at FI Educator, so FI Educator. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. You got any final gems for me? Any, any takeaway items? Any, any actionable steps, man? Oof. The actual steps, like start today, start small. Don't make it a big thing. Like I need to save a million dollars tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, break it, break it down into those little steps of what can I do today? What can I do next week, next month, next year? And just start with that very first small step. Little actions will pile up and combine to be big actions. Big facts, big facts. I always like to say small incremental changes will lead to big habits. I mean, small incremental habits now will lead to big changes in the future. So I'm so glad that you went there with it to give them some takeaway items. And for everybody listening, 
don't only just listen, but actually learn and apply this information that we talked about today. Apply these gems that we talked about and implement them into your life. As Rob talked about, starting with something small and then continuing to add on that and build on that and watch that, that, that snowball effect really come into effect whenever you do those things, man. So thank you again. This was amazing. And I need everybody to stay safe, stay invested, and stay FYI Fly. We'll see y'all next week. See you guys. Thank you all for listening to FYI Fly, the podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Tune in next week for more financial literacy insights with our special guests. Please visit our website, social media platforms, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at FYI Fly Podcast. That's FYI FLI Podcast. See y'all next week and stay fly.